0: and start shopping at business.walmart.com. That's business.walmart.com. Welcome to this special episode of Insights. I'm Daniel Williams. MGMA is committed to providing expert resources, solutions, and support to medical professionals as they deal with COVID-19. Experts agree that one of the most promising ways to flatten the curve is through quarantine or isolation. This is especially important with the senior community. To help explain the challenges of keeping seniors safe, we're joined today by geriatric neuropsychologist, Bill Mansbach, who is also CEO and founder of CounterPoint Health Services. Bill, thanks for joining us today. Happy to be with you. Now, first tell our audience about yourself, your background in healthcare.
1: Okay, well, I am the CEO and founder of CounterPoint Health Services. CounterPoint provides geriatric, dementia care, psychiatry care, mostly to older adults in long-term care settings. That would be skilled nursing facilities, senior living communities, inclusive of assisted living, CCRCs uh, and the like. A lot of memory centers as well or sort of memory care embedded in those kinds of communities. We, we consist primarily of psychiatrists, psychiatric nurse practitioners, um, uh, I guess neuropsychologists, um, geriatric psychologists, psychiatric clinical social workers. Uh, and we work primarily in a interprofessional model, uh, working with staff in, in about 115 uh, communities in their centers in Maryland and Northern Virginia. I also am the CEO and founder of the BCAT Research Center. So this is an international research center focusing on creating tools that help doctors and other providers with um, cognitive assessments, cognitive interventions, and mitigation strategies for dementia. Okay. My background clinically is that I'm I'm trained as a geriatric neuropsychologist.
0: Okay. What does your day-to-day look like? Are you traveling to these different uh, assisted living facilities and other senior facilities um, and meeting with patients, meeting with providers? What does that look like?
1: It's a great question, Daniel, and and it's already changing uh, based on sort of the uh, all the energy around COVID-19. But essentially, my day is divided between overseeing Uh, about 50 uh, professional providers who go into all these communities and actually seeing some patients myself. I see fewer patients and mostly when I do, I do uh, neurocognitive work, mostly decisional capacities, things of that sort. Um, More and more, my time is spent talking to um, the operator leadership in our chain customers or nursing home customers and and assisted living who um, are really dealing with um, in a very fluid way, how do they continue to manage? How do they continue to provide care to their residents? Uh, which, as I think everyone knows now, is, uh, is certainly getting harder and harder to do.
0: Mm-hmm. How has that work been impacted by the COVID 19 outbreak? Or, or have you developed some protocols or some different communication strategies with these different providers and your team?
1: Great question. And and that's also, I'll give you a sort of a fluid answer, Daniel. So we we start with um, from our providers, what do they need to do to make sure that they're compliant with CDC guidelines so if they are walking into buildings, uh, taking care of uh, patients there, dealing with staff, talking with families and things of that sort. We, we have certainly noticed that there's an uptick in um, I would say anxieties experienced by residents, uh, staff, uh, and family members probably um, exacerbated by facilities increasingly setting limits or restrictions on families actually coming into the building and visiting their loved ones. So you, so you can imagine uh, the kind of um, anxiety that generates that residents who may or may not have cognitive impairment and, and by the way we're talking about a high base rate of people with dementia like alzheimer's disease um, and family members who want to see their loved ones and and actually cannot go into the building anymore and, and take care of them we we feel i feel number of calls i think about just last weekend so on saturday and sunday i'm talking to uh, these operators about, well, what, what should be a strategy for giving support to families, and uh, what are we going to do, they say, when our staff are um, affected by COVID-19 and we're and we're understaffed. And, oh, by the way, uh, since many of us are, are, are in nursing homes, we have all these quality measures that we have to maintain, how are we going to do that if we're limiting access to uh, people coming in and, and uh, having fewer providers doing the work?
0: Yeah. You're, based on your patient base, this elderly group, uh, seasonal flu can be a real problem there because it can spread quickly in those closed settings. So you're you're around this and you're aware of it, but when did you realize that this particular strain was was different than seasonal flu? I
1: think I, I first became aware of it a few months ago. Um, I, I sit on a lot of um, sort of national calls where um, healthcare is being discussed, a number of thought leaders are talking about um, kind of impact of, of, of new things. And actually, uh, this particular call was was on PDPM, which is really the you know, as you know, the value based um, reimbursement model, new uh, in late 2019 for nursing homes. And it was in one of those forums that someone had brought up this, you know this the coronavirus and the potential impact when when nursing homes are already reeling from their adjustments to um, PDPM. So I found out that way, and then. Um, uh, I guess I would say we started tracking this on, on first on CDC and then um, from our nursing home partners. For, you know, they are tied into you know their own um, trade associations, and pretty soon um, you know it became uh, clear that everyone was concerned about what was going on here. So I would say maybe three months ago I, I first started hearing about it, but but nothing like the last two weeks.
0: Right. You've got a team that, that is, uh, you know, reporting to you. You've got other providers that you're talking with. So where are you getting your information so then you can help develop a strategy and a plan to inform them so they're educated about it?
1: I think the, 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 the two primary sources of information, I mean, we, we are informed by CDC um, guidelines, uh, mostly uh, in how they pertain to practitioners, doctors, and so forth, taking care of patients. So, so there's sort of that, and we make sure that our teams that are going into buildings are aware of that, that they're practicing that, that we, we've in to everyone. We continue actually to communicate to them at least digitally daily, uh, and we ask for them to give us feedback because they're in buildings and they and they learn certain things. So that's sort of like one one channel. But the other channel is really from the uh, center operators. So these would be um, nursing homes who have their own sets of guidelines. And we then in turn take that information, relay that to our, our, uh, our clinical teams just to make sure we're on the same page. Um, and, and I will say, Daniel, that, that what's happening is that uh, the, the operators are beginning to ask us. You know, what do we do when we uh, don't allow families to come into the building? What impact will that be? How should we write our policies that, that aren't just about, um, you know, quality measures and, and, and taking care of patients in, in the more traditional way, but more about uh, this added layer uh, of complexity that COVID is really bringing uh, into the nursing
0: home. Mm-hmm. Is there anything our listeners need to know then about these skilled nursing facilities, other assisted living facilities where there may be misinformation or just a reason for clarification, um, something they need to know about them?
1: Yeah, I think there's, I,
0: I think this is a good time to take a step back and um,
1: see this uh, in balanced terms. So certainly it's the case that uh um, Residents who are living in these in these kinds of communities are more at risk. They have all these medical comorbidities. Certainly, patients with COPD and diabetes and things of that sort are already um, already more at risk. On the other hand, it's it's not a situation where uh, everyone who who is residing in these communities is is going to perish. It's really, you know, we have to kind of balance the the being prudent and practicing all the um, uh, all the guidelines that that will help ensure that we, we limit contagion or infection. Um, but we, we also have to be prudent that um, you can't just walk into a nursing home now. So you walk into a nursing home, if you are a provider, you should expect that there are certain procedures that you will have to undergo that you didn't have to. You will probably have a either a forehead or some sort of temperature read. You may be asked to gown uh, up. You may be asked to wear uh, a mask. You may be told the moment you walk in that there is a unit who, that's, that's quarantined. Uh, in some respects, there's already a paradigm, and that would be, you had mentioned it before, the influenza situation. So nursing homes are really familiar with respiratory viruses. This um, provides an opportunity for them to use those, those kinds of, um, you know, security measures. So, so that would be one thing. If you are a provider and um, you're taking care of patients and you're dealing with families, you should expect that families are going to ask you a lot of questions. They're going to have a lot of consternation about, I can't see my mom. I don't know what's going on with her. Doctors and other providers will spend more time on the phone, spend less time actually with their patients, more time on guiding, uh, reassuring family members, and and I think even the staff in the facilities than they ever have before.
0: Mm -hmm. In talking with other healthcare professionals, we've already talked to people at primary care practices, at larger Mm -hmm. health systems. They're already experiencing severe shortages in equipment. They're uh, dealing with shortages with staff and preparing for that what about in these types of facilities? Are, are you seeing the same thing there? What's happening there? I'll tell you a funny story. I was uh, in a nursing home uh, talking to them about
1: um, uh, this, this uh, portal that we now have to provide families additional support. Uh, mostly it's questions like, well, what do I do if I can't see you know, my mom in the facility and so forth? And while I was there uh, <laughs> using the hand sanitizer, One of the GNAs, one of the the nursing staff person, said, "You know, uh, that's the last bottle we have on this floor." So that's a pretty shocking statement, you know, when you're used to being it. That's that's usually not the case, Mm Dan. So uh, I I was pretty I was pretty struck with uh, with that. Uh, So you know, I I think that sort of speaks to these shortages. Um, They're going to happen, from from test kits to uh, wipes to masks to gowns to everything else. And so the question really is, how are people going to ration? And rationing, I think it's going to be a reality in these settings.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, we're going to talk more about quarantining now in, in that particular mm-hmm. type of situation. I did want to ask you about the the situation that took place in Washington State at that senior facility. Uh, yeah. In your group calls, right. have what information have you gathered about that? What what do you know about it and what happened there?
1: So in any kind of, um, I'll use the word epidemic situation, by the time you have an infection, uh, you already know that um, the spread is already taking place. I mean, it's not just about one one case uh, or seven cases. It means that they're, it's sort of concentrically, right? So that means that whoever is um, uh, is positive for COVID-19 interact with other people who likely will also be um uh, positive and given the you know the incubation period of this virus that's a particular problem so i think the takeaways really are um, and they've already been operationalized Uh, we have to begin to screen people everyone when they come in so we learned that actually from the the washington uh situation we need to begin to um Think through what are the staffing patterns. You know, if you're operating a nursing home, you're really concerned about whether or not you're going to have enough um, uh, nursing aides and other staff to go around. It's not just, am I going to have enough enough gloves, enough um, you know, uh, of uh, sanitizer? Am I actually going to have um, enough people in the building to to take care of? So I think I think creative staffing patterns also is something that we learned from you know that particular case, and I think messaging is probably the third thing that um, it's important that uh, nursing homes get out ahead of this as much as possible. And you see that. You already see that people are putting on their websites no cases, and this is
0: what we're going to do, just to reassure you.
1: I think we learned all that, really, from the Washington situation.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, we're already seeing quarantine situations around the country. We're seeing canceling Mm -hmm. of sports seasons. We're seeing... Major companies and and smaller companies uh, going ahead and saying to their employees, please just work from home for now. We've got to figure this situation out. Um, in one of these facilities, you know, you've you've got you've already talked about it quite a bit with um, screening people before they come in. Uh, is there even banning non essential individuals who might show up? I mean, what is what are you seeing yep. so far yep. in the facilities that you're visiting and your team is visiting?
1: It's a great question. So on one hand we have uh, facilities who are asking for more of our time uh, and those are mostly skilled nursing facilities. On the other hand, we have um, we have buildings and I would say they're mostly, at least for right now in the senior living industry who are beginning to say, you know what? Uh, we may not want providers in the building. Uh, so, of, of our 115 total centers that we uh, we go to, only one so far has said uh, no, no docs, no consultants. So, and, and so, so that's pretty dramatic. I, it's harder to do that in a nursing home because it's just the nature you're admitting patients, and yes, they're residents, but they're also patients. In assisted living, it's a little easier to do that, uh, but uh, so we're seeing it. The, the worry, of course, will be that, um, and, and it's, it's sort of a, a, an irony. The, the worry would be that uh, facility staff internally will have—I um, mean, those staffing patterns will be depleted, so there'll be fewer people. But on the other hand, they uh, may say buildings may say we're restricting consultants because we're concerned that they will bring in um, the virus because they're they're at other nursing. Right. You know, they're, they're at other places. So we, we don't really know. It's a very fluid mm-hmm. situation um, yeah. as to whether or not we yeah. would be restricted.
0: So for the patients there, what does the quarantine protocol look like? And I know that you were talking earlier that it's um, it's facility to facility, I believe. Um, so mm-hmm. give us an idea of what that looks like so we can keep those, if someone is infected, keep them separate from the, the rest of the population
1: right so there are protocols in place if someone tests positive positive, uh, and of course you know there's some challenges in getting tested but if someone tests positive and in this respect it, it's really no different than uh, influenza quarantine uh, procedures take place what will happen is that a unit uh, well first of all the quarantine starts with a room so a person's restricted to a room access to the room is also restricted There then is um, a decision made, a definition of who is essential versus non-essential staff. Uh, So non-essential staff are often uh, people who are not giving um, uh, hand-on body care. Uh, So anybody else uh, is probably restricted. If it goes uh, beyond, um, you know, a certain number of residents, then an actual unit will be restricted. And so you can see how it's sort of in an in a, in a incremental or, or segmented situation. Uh, in the case of influenza, uh, there are actually mandated periods of time where a uh, facility cannot accept new admissions. Uh, there has to be, um, let's say, 72-hour period where... There are no new cases or no new outbreaks, uh, so th- th- there already are procedures in place. But it would look something like that. They may be modified, Daniel, if um, if the spread is is more aggressive than the, than the paradigm of, let's say, influenza or or some other respiratory virus.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, I want to talk about this from the business of healthcare side for a moment. So could quarantining affect these facilities as star rating? Is that something that if you had discussions like that?
1: Yeah, a lot of those discussions. So I'm sure a lot of your listeners will appreciate this. Um, The nursing homes in particular are in a tough spot. I mean, on one hand, their star ratings are greatly dependent on their quality measures and those outcomes. So in order to achieve um, a high, let's say, you know, a high rating, uh, there's certain outcomes that have to be uh, maintained. Well, it's really difficult to maintain those outcomes if you're restricting your professional consultants from coming in, if you don't have enough staff, if you have more, let's say, behavioral issues that will occur, uh, just given the ambient level of anxiety, kind of an institutional anxiety. So. Uh, th- this is this is really tough. So on one hand, there may be some restriction of people coming in, but the more you restrict, particularly if they're professional staff, the more at risk are your 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 ratings, and of course that's a snowball kind of uh, kind of a cascading um, you know, situation. So so they're they're in a really difficult situation, made worse by in some respects by PDPM because. You, you need to really be on your game in the nursing home. You need very quickly to get all your diagnostic stuff uh, underway because your payment's going to be tied to that. So if that gets interrupted uh, and it's going to get interrupted, I think you would see uh, it's reasonable to think that there's going to be um, a lowering of these of these
0: ratings. Okay. Now, in conversations with other healthcare professionals this week uh, in dealing with COVID-19, They've talked about the importance of telehealth, telemedicine, mm-hmm. um, in keeping patients who are well, patients who are sick, apart from one another, be able to treat and serve both of those populations. For these senior communities, these uh, senior facilities, what's been the protocol there? What is uh, telehealth playing a role there?
1: So it's playing a minor role. It uh, it could play a more significant role although there are um, several obstacles to overcome. So um, one issue, of course, is around the geographic restriction, you know, based on um, whether or not uh, there are providers, enough enough density of providers in an area, uh, you know, because there's restrictions on whether or not you can do telehealth. Um, but let's take a, uh, an almost best-case scenario. An almost best-case scenario would be you could do telehealth in a building anywhere, since I think that th- that will occur. You need somebody, though. um, Think about it this way, Daniel. You're you're going to be dealing with a majority of residents who have dementia or significant cognitive impairment. So, they are going to need assistance with their telehealth. It's not like they can um, do it all themselves. Right. Which means, so, 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 in the originating site, which in this case is the nursing home. Uh, if you're a if you're a doc or you're on the outside and you want to let's say you're a consultant and you want to provide the care, you need someone a confederate with that uh, with that resident or with those residents uh, as you see them sort of serially. Who's that person going to be? Uh, if if you're restricted from sending somebody into a building, you, you you can't send one of your you know a member of your team if you ask the nursing home to provide someone to step into that role, they're already uh, depleted in terms of their staffing model. They're they're not going to want to do that. I know our team spend eight hours a day uh, in a nursing home, taking care of uh, patients there, uh, freeing up somebody uh, uh, who's not part of our team will be challenging. So it's just a little bit about um, some of the, some of the difficulties with making it happen. On the other hand, if we can't overcome those obstacles, it will really uh, take a lot of pressure, I think, off the system in a very positive way. And maybe ultimately, uh, it will um, create um, a better sort of platform, a better opportunity for telehealth to be more widely used. Um, you could say, Daniel, that that it may be a bit different with the Advantage plans. They already are a little bit further ahead of, let's say, um, some of the, the commercial plans or, or standard Medicare in this respect.
0: Why is that? Have you researched that topic or discussed it with some of your peers mm-hmm. to figure out why we're, we're just not prepared from that standpoint?
1: I think well, several things. I, mean, I, I think medically, you know, Uh, most uh, medical practices are set up in a certain way and and there's a sort of an inertia about that. That's how we practice medicine. Uh, And so there's always been sort of a standard way of doing that. And nursing homes have always required uh, their providers to be physically in the building. That's very important for them. So yes, you have to be with your patient, but also, um, uh, you know, you're dealing with staff. It's not like just seeing one person. You're seeing multiple people when you when you do a consult. So, so I think that that's sort of one issue. Another issue is a is a pretty um, sort of IT one. It seems kind of silly in some ways, but not all nursing homes are really equipped so that you you actually have um, you can be online. You know, you can actually do the um, uh, use the technology in some ways. And I'm not just talking about in rural areas. I mean, there are dead zones, and I, I mean that not in a tongue-in-cheek way, in a nursing home where it's difficult to have connectivity even, so that there there are technical issues uh, involved in all that. It's also, it's an expensive thing to do to make the dollars and cents actually work. So a CounterPoint, for example, if we Send somebody uh, into a nursing home who is a staffer who's not the not the licensed professional, but is the person who's who's essentially with the with the with the iPad or or, or tablet, um, you know, spending eight hours, you know, uh, collecting information and being with that patient there. Um, that's a challenging model to put into place to make uh, economically viable because you're comparing it to. Actually going to a uh, the professional actually going herself into the building uh, where you have actually less overhead. Oddly enough, so there's been less of an incentive
0: to do it. Yeah, I wanted to go back to something we were talking about earlier. We talked about the Washington State case where we had multiple fatalities. I I don't know what was the mm-hmm. exact number. It's in the 20s, correct, of people yep. um, dying from COVID-19. Um, that's one example where it, it just caught them off guard. But I wanted you to walk us through, because you have been through several, you know, the seasonal flu where there have been quarantine issues, walk us through a case study uh, that you've been involved with where the protocols were put in place, and they helped save lives. They helped uh, keep more and more of those patients alive there.
1: Yeah, happy to do that. And and, and just to put it in context, Daniel, I'll say that... Um, you know, it's hard, to prove a, it's hard to prove a negative, so mm-hmm. uh, it's hard to actually quantify how many lives are really saved, but, but I can tell you in taking care of patients, um, the quarantine situation is um, uh, maybe one of the most uh, immediate, uh, effective ways of really limiting uh, spread. You know, we talk about sort of social separation, right? Uh, isolation is sort of a way of, of creating a firewall, a space firewall in some ways. But but a more rigid firewall is is um, where somebody really ha- already has a case is effective. So, so let me let me just walk you through one particular one. So uh, I'm thinking of a situation that happened just a couple of months ago where uh, we had a we had a resident in a nursing home who had dementia and who was physically aggressive. So I was asked to, to, to go there, evaluate the patient, try to determine if is the patient more aggressive because they have delirium or are they more aggressive because something has happened in uh, the progression of their illness or whatever. Um, so I got there. N- nobody bothered to tell me before, before I got there that the patient was actually quarantined. So the patient had an infection. As it turned out, the patient had multiple infections. The patient had the flu but the patient also had a UTI. And um, so I couldn't even have access to the patient, but I did have access to the chart, which gave me an opportunity to talk with the staff that was there, talk to the primary care uh, physician who was there. So even though the patient was quarantined, uh which which was very effective because um I would say within a week that building was was back to normal you know they they actually had a restricted number of uh, their outbreak was really pretty they were on it right away daniel which which I mean timing is really kind of everything but we were still able actually to make some decisions in in patient's medical care so that when she came out of the quarantine situation they were already able to do certain things for her that maybe they wouldn't have been able to do otherwise.
0: Okay. that That is a powerful story. I um, wanted to ask you a final question then. Uh, we've been covering a lot of ground here about these senior facilities, um, whether they're assisted or uh, nursing facilities as well. But in any of these cases, what are some best practices then <laughs> you'd like to leave with our audience to help them communicate with the staff and also communicate with those family members that want to visit their loved ones. They want to be a part of their care, but they just may not be able to right now because of the severity of the situation.
1: That's really a great question, and a great one to end on. I mean, a couple of things that, that come to mind uh, just as I hear you ask the question. I mean, the, the first thing is that, um, you know, all things have a beginning and an end. I would want to reassure families, providers too, but, but families in particular that, yes, this is a very trying situation, but it will end. It will get better. Uh, it will end. It's not, um, there is light at the end of the tunnel. That's the first thing. The second is that uh, I think the healthcare system is really trying to do the right thing. So even though it may be difficult if you're restricted from seeing your mother, your father, you know, a loved one in some ways, it's actually for, for the greater good. And so rather than seeing it, rather than choosing to see it as as something that's 100% terrible, maybe you can see it as 50% bad, but 50% good, that this is in the best interest uh, you know, of a loved one in some ways.
0: Bill, that's a powerful story. Thanks for sharing that with us today. And, and thanks for joining us on the podcast.
1: Happy to be with you today, Daniel.
0: That's going to do it for this special episode of the Insights Podcast. Thanks to our guest, Bill Mansbach. Keep an eye out for more in this series as we talk with healthcare professionals to guide you and your practice through these difficult times. To keep up with the latest, be sure to visit mgma.com slash COVID. You can also connect with fellow members and healthcare peers at community.mgma.com. Stay safe and thanks for listening. Hi, this is Declan McGee, one of the producers for the MGMA Insights Podcast. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com membership. Thanks. The popular buzzword we've been seeing everywhere is AI. But what we all want to know is how we can implement and use it to our advantage. When it comes to improving margins, accelerating cash flow, and optimizing staff performance, there's a one-stop shop using cloud-based predictive analytics. MGMA Analytics is your AI-enabled tool that upscales technology you've already been paying for so you can silo your disparate systems and make data-backed business decisions. Visit mgma.com/analytics and see how AI can revolutionize your finances in operations. Again, visit mgma.com slash analytics today.